Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Big Reds on, pa- on Brunswick Beaches, and we're going to be talking to Captain Tim DeSano of Tideline Charters out of the Sunset Beach area. We'll be covering such areas as time of year, tide, bait, rigs, positioning, and presentation. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest efforts, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insights on how to catch more fish more often. And in this pursuit, every week I am joined by podcast partner Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, it feels good to be back in the podcast seat. What is going on, Gary? Yeah, man, it's good to be back. Um, You know, if you could refer to me as podcast extraordinaire or something like that, that would be good. Yeah, (laughs) sure. Tweak the mat now. Hold on, let me make a note. Let me make a note for the next one. Well, no, man, it's good. If I was as good at fishing as I am at this podcast stuff, then, well, I'd be a better fisherman than you, Gary. But that's about it. Anyway, there's my funny joke for the the evening. Um, I'm not biting on that one. I'm going to let that one go. (laughs) I'm I'm looking forward to this, man. Tim DeSano has always been a great guest, so uh, I'm looking forward to this episode. And then if you're listening and you like it, be sure to go check out the older episodes, too, because he's been on a few times. So it's uh, it's always going to be good. Gary, so really appreciate you doing a great job at booking great guests like Tim. I know he's going to make your life easy, but. He is, man. I'm just going to ask him, (laughs) so what do you think about a big red off Brunswick? And I'm going to check back in in 40 minutes and tell him we got to wrap it up. I know. I know. Because he's good. He's good. He's that good. He's that good on reports as well. So (laughs) he's great. It's always fun. Um, well, man, I'll jump in real quick and shout out our sponsors of the show. Uh, you guys saw the top of the show there, Academy Sports, so we want to thank those guys, and we also want to thank Marine Warehouse Center. Get a quick message from them, and we'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything for trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there and we want you out there with us. All right, there you go, Gary. That's your crew over there, man. Yeah, man, I was there the other day and they were busy but they were getting deliveries i asked emmett said yeah man they're through the time period where everything was spoken of before it even hit the lot they are now building up their inventory regularly which i interpret as weekly and uh still doing service work they've helped me out recently and uh yeah man marine warehouse center a friend of the boating fishing community a member an active participant in the boating fishing community yeah, absolutely, man. They're so supportive, been with us for a really long time, sponsoring the show, so we appreciate them. So go support them wherever you can, and I know we have a worldwide audience, so if you go and you check out Marine Warehouse, they might have something that you want. They could actually ship it to you, so I just want to remind you of that as well. Haven't done that in a while, uh, so we'll remind you of that. And then also, you know, if you're not from around here, you might spot, spot Emmett running around doing some stuff. He's been traveling a little bit. You know, market research, things like that, serving these different areas. 
but he also has been catching some uh, some events, Gary. So this little segment oh. is called "Where in the World Is Emmett," where I give you and the audience a hint, maybe two if you're lucky, and see if you can guess where in the world was Emmett spotted. Are you ready, Gary? Where in the world is Emmett? All right, I'm in. All right, so Emmett was at an event where two event. teams. It's an event, so that's your first hint. <laughs> where two teams uh, come together and they try to have like a little practice game. What is that called? Do they have a practice game? Practice game. What is you're the talking name about? Practice. What is that practice game called? Okay, not a real game, but it's still between two scrimmage. Team. A scrimmage, exactly. So that's where I caught Emmett at here before preseason. Uh, <laughs> Right there in the background, you got to look real close if you guys can spot him. He's in the back at an NFL scrimmage. So. I do, I do, I do see him. You see him in the uh, back. So there he is. That right tickled now. me. Back, back in the back, football scrimmage. So. Uh, all right, that's good. Yeah, yeah. it's that time, man. Football's on. It's on its way. You know. So, it's on its way, man. I don't sports, so I don't really know. I was just hoping I was pretty close <laughs> with, with spotting you. You did great. You did great. <laughs> with scrimmage. You with did great. Scrimmage. Well, maybe I'll do better with a fish photo. You ready for that one? Yeah, man. All right, here we go. All right, we got John McDonald from Charlotte with a 45-inch red drum caught and released while soaking cut bait from Caswell Beach Surf. So a uh, good-looking, pretty good-looking fish right there. Yeah, man. Good fish. That looks like a sincere smile. Um, I like everything about that, that fish, about that photo. Inches? You think it's 45 inches as we critique these photos, Gary? That one doesn't scream challenge. There's some that scream oh, challenge. Yeah. That one does not scream challenge. That one, I'm going to go ahead and... this dude was. He just has that thing just holding it right there. I mean, that thing's got to be heavy, but whatever. He's playing them like a if guitar. You, if his, I think if you measure it out, if you say his mustache is four inches across and then you do the math, <laughs> I think that fish measures out. Like that little line on a map where he's grabbing. <laughs> oh, man. That's pretty funny. Well, if you want to catch a big fish like that, make sure you tune into our weekly fishing reports. And I'm going to swing it over to you, Gary, and let you tell our audience about that if they haven't heard about it already. Oh, weekly fish. I love any opportunity to talk about weekly fishing reports, the new project here for Billy and I, Fisherman's Post. Weekly inshore and nearshore fishing reports delivered in an audio and video delivery method. It is behind a paid wall, a subscription wall at the fishermanspost.com website. But every week we release a new one, talk to 11 captains from 11 different areas from up and down the coast, have about a five minute conversation with each one, talking from everything to bait, red drum, trout, flounder, Spanish, cobia. I mean, really anything that's happening, you know, how, to, how the hot weather has affected their fishing how the high and low, severe low tides have affected their fishing strategies. And it's a great conversations, you know, full of information and fishermanspost.com member content for more information. How about that? I, I wasn't even prepared for that. I think I did all right. That was good, Gary. That was good. And it's so good that one of the captains as part of that is on the show tonight. And his reports are so good, he goes back and listens to his own reports and goes and catches more fish. <laughs> he, he takes his own advice. His That's own good advice. for him. That's... You'll hear some of that on the show tonight, I'm sure. That's a great endorsement. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to talk with Tim, and then I'm coming back to you for Billy's Best Takeaway. Again, that's Billy's Best Takeaway to conclude our show. But right now, it is absolutely my pleasure to welcome to the show Captain Tim DeSano, 
Tideline Charters out of the Sunset Beach area, here to talk about Big Reds on Brunswick Beaches, or just off of Brunswick Beaches. Tim, welcome back to the show. Yeah, what's going on, guys? I uh, appreciate y'all having me back on the show, and it's the second or third time we've been on, but any chance we get to get to talk about some fishing, especially some real good fishing that's coming up, you know, we like to do it. So, um, you know, bull red fishing is something that we look forward to all year long, and it's close. It's getting real close. So uh, we're kind of already gearing up. We're starting to see the the beginning signs of, you know, what should be them starting to move into the area, but uh, uh, got... I think I'm going to cut you off. All right. I'm going to cut you off because you've got two questions before you start getting rolling. You don't get to All go right. right into big reds off of Brunswick beaches. I... You're one of our favorite guests, but you don't circumvent <laughs> tradition. You're not that favorite of a guest. That's the, the first question, sir. Are you go ahead. We're, we're strictly business here lately, Gary, but go ahead. Come on. Why, why should we listen to you talk about a big red off of the Brunswick beaches? Well, I, I seem to have convinced Gary and Billy that I know what I'm talking about enough for them to have me on a couple of times. So depending on uh, your, you know, your trust in their judge of character, but uh, you know, we're, we live in a great spot. You know, one where we're at is, is really kind of the epicenter for our end of the County for, for the big red drum fishing. Um, you know, so we're geographically blessed in that sense. And you know, something that we've done ever since we fished, you know, in our area, since I've been young, it's just something that is kind of a cool phenomenon that happens for about a month and a half. And, um, you know, we've spent a lot of time doing it and we've been pretty successful. All right. That works for me. I'm going to move on to question two, which again, by tradition is a non fishing related question. So speaking about big drums, your question is about a big drum, but it's about a big musical instrument drum. I'm going to give you a three foot diet. I'm going to give you a three foot window. According right. to the Guinness book of world records, how tall, is the biggest drum musical instrument drum 30 foot uh 19 feet six inches oh, so you're out of, you're out of the three foot range i'm gonna give you yeah. the same three foot range now that you know it's 19 foot six inches tall i'm gonna give you the same three feet window to talk about diameter uh 15 feet Yes, you're within. No, you're not. It's 18 feet two inches. Oh, you're just outside. Well, that uh, three. That, so so listen to me when I'm talking about red drum, but not about geometry, because I guess I don't <laughs> understand how circles work. And I'm gonna give you within two tons to guess how heavy the largest musical instrument drum is. You said give me within two tons. Yeah. So we're talking so, tons. Yeah. So let's go four. Four tons. No, it's seven. You you were zero for three. Yeah. You don't you go right. you don't get the sound of my voice on your voicemail. You haven't won the yeah. special prize. But so. we did like your answer about why we should listen talk to you about big reds. So let's talk about big reds. And yeah, man, in your show notes, I like you know you know it really setting the stage for when people can start. You know this will be released in be very beginning of September. Set the stage for when people can sincerely start to look for big red drum with regularity or I guess once they first start showing and then when they show with regularity. Yeah. So, you know, for us, it varies, you know, and it's a conversation that we have frequently with people that are coming down. They're wanting to kind of get a, get a time frame of when they should be here. If that's something that they're wanting to target. Um, you know, we have people that come every year and that's their favorite thing to do. So we try to, we try to give them the window for me, my, my stock answer is mid September. You know, we've had them show up as early as the second week. Um, you know, we've had them not really show up super great until, you know, 28th, 29th, 30th, you know, towards the end of September, but 
it's going to be sometime mid-September. And really, realistically, I think there's a number of factors that kind of push them in, the first and foremost being bait. So when we start to see the big schools of pogies showing back up on the beaches and in the inlets, that is our first clue. You know, that there's no redfish without the pogies. Um, you know, it's just they go hand in hand. They're here to feed and just gorge themselves as much as they can before they move back offshore and spawn. So it, that really is the first thing that we look for is, is bait showing back up. I, I would say it's definitely a water temperature thing as well. You know, we're, typically we're, we're starting to be on the, on the downward trend uh, as far as our temperatures go. You know, this afternoon we just got done, the water was 90 degrees. Uh, typically, you know, from little, you know, mental notes and notes, physical notes that we've made in the past, as far as when we start to catch the real big ones, we start to see it at least closer to, you know, low, very low eighties, high seventies. And for us over the last couple of years, specifically the, the water temperature seems to fall to that, that range pretty quick. As soon as we get some days where, you know, it's, it's out of the high eighties, low nineties, you know, we'll start to see that water temperature start to drop. Uh, the, the rising tide, we typically see, you know, anywhere from one to three degree cooler water anyway. Um, so mid-September on a rising tide, mid to late September, it's not uncommon for us to have that water temperature back down, especially in the morning, 78, 79, 80 degrees. And that's something that we look for as well. But the bait is the big factor. Uh, you know, right now we're already starting to see signs of, you know, the, the not maybe the sheer amount of bait that we will have off the beaches here in the coming weeks, but there is more out there than there has been. So that's definitely a welcome sign for what's to come. And, uh, you know, like that, that would be if you were to, to really kind of start to, you know, want to look for, for some big drum, look, you got it. You need bait first and foremost anyway. So if, it, if you're having an incredibly tough time finding bait out off the beach, know that it's probably a little too early for the, for the drum. Uh, you know, there's, if you're fishing the jetty system that we have in, in Little River, South Carolina, if you put a, a cut pokey on the bottom of any size, any time in the year, you have a chance of catching a great big drum. But when we talk about big drum fishing, we're talking about them being here in big numbers. So that's that's really the the you know kind of what we're what we're looking for. You know, not one or two fish here or there. Um, you know, from my best guess, without ever seeing how big the schools of fish are. There's got to be tens of thousands. Uh, you know, you've seen everybody's seen the big aerial shots of the big, you know, giant schools of drum pushing down off the beach, especially out off the outer banks. It's the same fish. You know, they're they're working their way down the coast. Um, you know, Oriental, you know, all the areas to the north of us typically get them. You know, Pamlico Sound area, they're getting them way before we are. And it seems by the time they're kind of done biting up there, they've moved on to us and they kind of camp out with us for you know anywhere from four to six weeks typically. All right. So as far, I guess my next question go, our questions go to like, once the conditions present, like, I, I think that was a very clear answer about when you can start expecting to see them or, ex, or see them with regularity. So now once we know that we are in the zone, the water temperature is there, the bait is there, then what are the conditions that make for a better day than another? And I'm, I don't mean the obvious, like, it's just too rough to be out there or too rough to see. But I'm wondering, does wind direction play a role? Does moon phase play a role? You know, and, you know, and then I think you said something about tides, you know, even off the beach playing a role. So what are some of those variables that might be, might give you more confidence or, or yeah. historically play out better? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, 
where we're at, you know, the Brunswick beach is anywhere from Holden on down into the state line. You know, our beaches are south facing. So, you know, our predominant wind direction towards the fall is, is typically out of the north for the majority of the day, which helps in a lot of ways. One, it's going to keep the beach pretty slick, uh, you know, even if it's blowing 20, you know, 15 to 20 miles an hour, if the direction is correct. It's going to be plenty calm enough for, you know, your average boater and anything 18 foot or bigger to, to be comfortable in that, you know, anywhere from inlet to one mile range. You know, most 99% of the fish that we're catching are either in the inlets, um, you know, or, you know, just off to either side. And we can talk about structure in a little while, but, um, you know, or in that 15, you know, 12 to 15 foot of water range, you know, so they're up and down the beaches in the schools of bait or, you know, on some of the really shallow water structure that we have. Um, so wind direction, as long as it's calm enough for us to be there, that's typically the wind direction we like. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think, you know, if it's a few mile an hour or a few, you know, degrees difference as far as direction, it, it was going to make a difference as far as the bite. It's more or less just going to make it more comfortable for us. Now, tide-wise, the moon phase, we, we I would prefer personally, and I, I'm not sure, I'm sure a lot of people would agree, that if we're not fishing on a big moon phase, uh, you know, whether a new or a full moon where the current is just screaming in and out of the inlets, that is makes it easier for us to, to fish it. It makes us, helps us set the boat up better. But I also think that it definitely helps the bite. When we are on a big moon phase, we target really heavily, you know, the hour hour on you know on either side of the higher or the low where the current's going to be a little bit more manageable um you know that's mainly pertains to when we're fishing the inlet so you know when i talk about fishing the inlet it's there's no no secret spot you know the little river jetties hold a lot of fish and a lot of the big red fish this time of year and there's just some areas where you just plain can't sit um you know whether you're on a trolling motor anchor or what you know gary I, you know, when you came and fished with us last year that was a perfect example of the conditions that we don't want to try and fish the inlet for the big reds. You know, we had a 30 knot east wind and we had a screaming tide and it was just, we couldn't get the boat situated. You know, we had a couple bites. It just, it just wasn't, wasn't the day. So, you know, that would be, that would be what we don't want, you know, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be to that extreme to slow the bite down. But my, my experience, if we can get a more mild tide, but, you know, still moving water, you know, that's a, a big thing. It doesn't matter if we're in the inlets, off the beach, or in the creeks. That water needs to be moving for us to kind of have an idea of where we think the fish are going to want to be. Um, you know, so we definitely want moving tide, but it helps to not have as, you know, so much tide that you can't really get situated how you want to. All right. I don't want to, I don't want to go into too much on i mean i know the little river jetties are already under pressure so i only want to ask like one follow-up sort of position question there sure. and then move to the beaches so yeah so as far as the jetties go is the goal to be close to the rocks a certain distance off of the rocks or even out in the middle like any of it is productive but what i'm more curious about you know because i don't want to be tethered to the inlet i want to know man when you're when you're not inlet fishing and you're cruising the beach are you staying locked into 10 to 15 of water, 10 to 15 feet of water, or are, are like Spanish on some days, they're just further out. And then how much of it is driven by targeting bait balls and how much of it is determined by targeting, like say known structure, known live bottom. So yes to, to everything, you know, in a sense, uh, real quick, like I said, you know, just finishing touching on the inlet. And it kind of pertains to what we're talking about off the beach as well. It 
fishing is one of those things that as soon as someone figures something out and they tell someone and then, you know, it just kind of keeps going down the chain of command, that becomes the thing to do until someone figures something else out, you know, and then it shows you that that's not the only way to do it. it. Historically, everybody wants to be out off the tip of the jetties, you know, where that water will go from 16 to 30 foot, you know, where the holes wash out on the rocks and, and so on and so forth. And there's been days where we, you just simply can't be there, but we still want to target them. You know, people have fished way up the rocks, um, as, as meaning closer to the, the mainland, um, you know, in much shallower water. They fish directly in the middle. And it seems to be, you know, certain times, you know, they'll, you can still be successful doing that. So it more or less will matter what you're fishing with, you know, the style that you choose to fish with, you know, everybody used to drift for the fish, whether it was on the beaches or in the inlets. Then people started using trolling motors and then spot lock came around. Now everybody just tries to race to get to their spot and they just try to hang out there until they see someone else catch one and then they run over there and it's kind of derby style fishing. But um, yeah, now off the, off the beaches, we, we kind of look at a number of things. The two main things that we're going to do is we're either going to run the beach and look for the bait balls, um, you know, or set up on known structure. So the way that I try to attack it, if, if seas are favorable and the conditions are right and we can run out off the beach, if I can find a school of drum in a bait ball or on structure and be the only boat fishing them instead of being stacked up in any of the inlets, whether it's Little River, you know, Shalote, all of our area inlets are going to hold these drum. Uh, but if we can find them out kind of to ourselves, that's really when you start having a lot of fun. You know, it's not, you're not competing, you know, as heavily with, with other boats, with traffic, with, you know, people trying to come in and out of the inlet that aren't fishing, you know, it's just, it gets really hectic at times. So I typically, you know, on, on your given day, that, that 12 to 15 foot range, that time of year in our area is about where we're going to find the pogies. You know, sometimes you'll get them in six, eight foot of water way up in the breakers and and sometimes you will get them out into that 20 25 foot range either way wherever the bait is is going to be where the fish are you know the fish are going to be holding just below the bait balls typically so you know what we can do is we'll catch our bait on a different ball you know not we're not throwing the cast net on on a on a bait ball that we're trying to fish but we try to have our bait already and we can pull up and you can see you can tell which direction the bait is moving down the beach you know or in or out you know shallower or deeper or they might just be sitting pretty stationary. So, you know, we can, you can look at that and tell based on if, if the sun is high and the, and the visibility is good, you can, and the fish, the bait is schooled tight enough. I mean, every, we've all seen that just big, dark, you know, wad of bait on the beach and you can see them really good that way. You can tell by just looking at how they're flipping, if they're, if they're moving one direction or another and not every bait ball is going to have redfish under them. You know, it's going to be typically one or two that are going to have all of the fish. So it, definitely pays to, you know, pull up, you can either put your trolling motor down, you know, if it's calm enough, a lot of times we'll just kind of bump, bump in and out and just try to stay with the bait as it's moving. And we're going to cast, you know, either I might have one or two people cast around the perimeter of the bait, um, you know, or if you're starting to get a little frustrated, send it right down the middle of it. But, uh, you know, it's by the time that bait hits the bottom, if you don't get a bite in a minute or two, there's a pretty high possibility that those, those fish aren't in that particular set of bait and we'll move on to the next one. Um, something that's important as far as our bait goes, you know, when I'm talking about the bait balls off the beach, we're talking about pogies. Um, you know, I like to try and do something to my pogey to, to let it stand out from, from the rest. You know, if there's a couple hundred bait in that ball right there and you drop yours down just because it sits a little deeper, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to entice a bite. Um, you know, a lot of times 
if we're, you know, you, whether we're nose hooking them or a lot of times I'll hook them through the back, you know, this time of year, we're going to bring a lot of bait with us to do this. So keeping the bait really pretty looking and alive for a long time is not imperative. Um, a lot of times I'm going to hook him straight through the back and I'm going to cut his tail just right at the base of his tail. He'll stay alive really well for maybe two, three, four minutes at tops. Um, but if for that two or three minutes, he's going to be kicking like crazy and, you know, emitting blood, scent, everything else. And that wounded, you know, pogey that is now a little bit lower than the rest of the school. If there is a, if there are fish on that particular set of bait, you know, a lot of times that's what it takes to, to kind of get them to, to want to bite it. But, um, you know, it's a little bit different when we're setting up on structure. Uh, you know, we'll put a little bit more of a spread out. You know, we're lucky in our area. We have a lot of really shallow water, you know, little wrecks, little rock piles. It's amazing how many fish will hold on a piece of structure that may, might not even be the size of your boat. Um, you know, and that's, uh, again, you know, just something that is often overlooked. A lot of people want to go out and catch these fish and they, they know that it's relatively simple fishing. Um, and, it, you know, just to be able to go out and catch one or two. And everybody just wants to go to what they think is going to be the sherbet. And a lot of times that is the inlet. But if you can figure out the fish off the beach, know what to look for and be willing to put your time in. And as far as just running up and down the beach, yeah, sometimes it's tough. I might have a group of clients that they only want to catch one or two and then maybe switch gears and go do something else. If that's the case, then I might, I might sit in a higher percentage spot, even if I'm only going to catch one or two, you know, and then kind of leave and go do something else. But when I have a group that is, what they're wanting to do is we're going after the big drum and that is the game plan. Then if conditions allow, we're going to go run off the beach because when we do find them, it might take us a little longer to get a bite, but when we do, you know, that's, we're probably going to be able to kind of run the numbers up pretty quick. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about your tackle. Maybe start with um, rod, reel, line, and then go to the terminal tackle. Like, you know, what, what your go-to is and, and, or what any kind of variation or secondary setups you might have on board yeah so you know the one thing that you know, i'm sure a lot of people we've we've said it in the past you know these are the big breeding stock fish you know these are the fish that are here to make more fish and we kind of owe it to the fish if we're going to harass them while they're here to feed and, and you know kind of get ready to go and spawn we owe it to the fish to to make sure that we're able to land them quickly you know without tiring them out too much and then you know make sure we get a quick picture revive them really well and release them. So in order to do that, we definitely beef our tackle up more so than, than really anything else. Uh, you know, minus, you know, this, a lot of the same gear that we use when we're Cobia fishing is what I use when I'm, when I'm bull drum fishing. So I use, I use star rods. Um, it's an eight foot extra heavy, you know, pretty, pretty stout, pretty stout rod. And then I use sometimes we, you know, depending on the, on the day or if we're going off the beach or at the inlet, um, I use anywhere from a 5,000 to a 6,500 reel. Uh, I use Daiwa BGs, the and we have a few saltists as well. As well, they're great reels, a lot of drag, a lot of line capacity. Uh, you know, you do need to beef your lineup as well. I mean, I run, I run 50 pound braid, and you know, we're running anywhere from 40 to 60 pound fluorocarbon typically, and then you know, always a circle hook. You know, if if we're using the bigger, you know, 10, you know, eight to 10 to 12 inch pogies that, you know, you're going to see out off the beach, you know, we're a lot of times we're using a six O circle hook, um, you know, 200 pound swivels, you know, running really short leader. But, you know, just if you look at your tackle and you think it might be too light, it probably is, you know, unfortunately you see a lot of people, you know, they're taking their normal, you know, maybe, you know, maybe not necessarily their trout rods, but, you know, maybe what they, have for a flounder rod or a, you know, or a small slot redfish and they're going out and they're going to hook one of these fish 
and it's going to take them every bit of 30 minutes to get them to the boat, if not longer. You know, that, that fish is going to tire himself out, especially if they kind of keep him out of the water a little bit too long. When they toss him back in, he's either not going to make it, period, and just float away, you know, possibly get eaten by sharks, you know, or anything else. You know, we want to try to make sure that we land these fish quick, and that means, you know, beef them up. So the 50-pound braid, I haven't, I haven't ever run into a situation where we need to go any heavier than that. Um, you know, and, and between 40 and 60 pound fluorocarbon, if we're out in the open and we're on the beaches, you know, we don't necessarily have to lock these fish up how you would if you were fishing in traffic. If there's a lot of boats around, we're going to beef our deer up even a little more that, you know, that 60 pound fluorocarbon to enough to be able to lock the fish up, keep them out of everybody else's gear out of other boats way. Um, you know, we can back it down just, just a touch when we're out there off the beach when we're by ourselves. Um, but always a circle hook and, you know, something that I see a, a mistake I see people make sometimes. And I mean, everybody has different op opinions on, on leader length. My opinion on it is that if we're fishing for fish that like to feed on the bottom and you're running a four foot leader on your Carolina rig, you're no longer fishing on the bottom. You know, so I, I'm anywhere 15 inches typically is, is what I'll, I'll try to stay around any 12 to 15, you know, maybe a little longer if I happen to cut a larger piece of fluorocarbon, but it's sub 20 inches always. Um, I, I find that I just get more bites. I, the better, you know, better bites, um, you know, as far as when you put cut, if you're putting cut or live pogies on the bottom, you're going to run into sharks. You're going to run into big stingrays, um, you know, and, and difference of opinion. Now, you know, I've heard people say they like to keep it further off the bottom to stay out of the sharks and the rays. My personal experience is opposite. You know, I like keeping it super tight to the bottom. You know, those fish are perfectly designed. If you look at the way a redfish is shaped, you know, his eyes are higher on his head. He's always looking down. They're looking to pin baits to the bottom. So, you know, shorter leaders and definitely heavy enough tackle to be able to, to handle these fish because, you know, it, a lot of times you will have people, they come down and they're like, oh, well, you know, how strong could they be? You know, maybe having not fished for a lot of different species before and, and people are always amazed, at, you know, especially when we start talking about fish upper 30s, low 40s, you know, and plus size fish that we have that are in these schools, you got to be able to at least try to control them. You know, you're not going to be ever really be in, in control, but you got to be able to steer them one way or another and land them in a responsible amount of time. All right. Um. So my question on the rig, again, I mean, I'm following everything you, you are. It's great to listen. So my question now is between if I'm targeting bait balls or if I'm doing something like anchoring up on structure or anchoring up on the Little River jetties, how does that decision affect how much weight you have on your rig? I'm guessing you want more weight if you're fan casting, holding bottom versus, you know, whatever weight you want to pick to have it fall through and around the bait pod. So, so the same, the same kind of rule holds true for, for me, whether we're fishing inshore, near shore, doesn't matter what it is. We're always going to try to use the minimum amount of weight that we possibly can in order to get the bait to do what we want it to do. Um, you know, when we're fishing in, you know, around structure and, and we're more targeting, whether it's in the inlets, on the reef, you know, anywhere, if I want that bait to sit where I want it to sit, I'm going to tend to go a little heavier. Um, I don't, I don't tend to really need more ever than three ounces. Yeah, that's kind of the the the, uh, the the extreme. A lot of times if we're targeting the bait balls and there's not a lot of current, there's not a lot of wind, you know, I'm going to back it down to an ounce and a half. You know, maybe maybe two ounces depending on if we're drifting or if we're kind of casting with the, with the school. Um, but we're always going to just barely want to be able to get it to the bottom. 
if we are fishing those, if we're not fishing just chunks of pogies and we are fishing them alive, the lighter weight that we can use, the more lively that, that bait is going to be. If you put a live pogie on a, and that especially holds more true for, for myself, um, you know, using shorter leaders. Yeah. So when I, if I'm only using a 15 inch leader because I want to keep my bait close to the bottom and I have three ounces of lead, that fish is going to get really kind of tired. You know, he's going to be constantly pulling. And, you know, especially if it's sitting stationary, it's your baits, you're going to be changing baits pretty quick. You know, my rule of thumb is if I need more than three ounces of lead to keep the bait somewhere, I need to change where I am. You know, either that means that the only time I really run into that situation is if we are fishing the inlet. Um, if three ounces won't keep it on the bottom, we need to leave the inlet. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a that's a big tide scenario. That's a lot of current. Um, you know, we might try to get to the lee side of the current and fish on the outside of the of the jetties um you know or or your area inlet depending um you know but off the beach i try i'll typically have a few rigged up with you know an ounce and a half maybe two and then two with a two ounce and then two with a three if we need it and then uh you know if we discover that one is getting the job done we can just quickly retie the rigs it's just you know for me i'm using carolina rigs uh, i i haven't had a reason to to feel as if we need to change that uh you know the hookup ratio is good the you know I, I in my opinion i think it's just the easiest rig to work with especially if you're you know dealing with anglers that are a little less experienced possibly and you know it's just it's pretty quick simple to the point so that's that's kind of you know if we can get by with lighter weight we can you know we let the, the conditions dictate that um definitely if we're off the beach and we are targeting the bait balls if you're casting especially if you're trying to cast around the perimeter of a school that's moving by the time that bait hits the bottom, it's going to be in the right spot, you know, even with an ounce and a half. And if that bait is on the bottom for longer than a minute or two and it hasn't gotten bit, we don't need it to stay there. You know, we're going to actively move the boat probably on to the next school of bait anyway. All right. Well, this seems like a good point to uh, in the podcast to switch over to positioning. And it seems like we're going to have a conversation about positioning on bait pods, bait balls, and a conversation about positioning on structure, whether it's the jetties or some some of the nearshore structure you have in the area. And then in that positioning, I mean, you've already talked about bait, you know, somewhat with pogies and cutting the tail and hooking through the nose or hooking through the back. But if there's anything else about bait that we've left out, then sort of work that into our guests, our conversation now about positioning in those two different scenarios. Yeah. So as far as positioning goes, you know, fish are going to typically orient themselves into current, you know, they're where they're looking for the path of path of least resistance. If they can be, excuse me, if they can be in a position where the food is coming to them as opposed to them hunting it down, they're going to be. So if we notice the pogies are moving east to west and, you know, they're and they're kind of, you know, falling with the tide or, you know, or, or against the tide or against the wind or whichever direction it is, we try to get above them. You know, so if I know that they're moving, you know, from left to right, we're going to start out a little bit and try to sit in the direction that they're headed and then get ahead of, you know, of the, of the bait a little bit you know, and that should be where the fish are, you know, these, the, the benefit of, of these fish is that they're not spooky, you know, from, from what they're not our Creek redfish, they are here to eat. So a lot of times, you know, positioning becomes even more important. If we know that a school of fish is sitting in a very specific spot and they're only going to eat it in a certain spot, you know, it becomes important for us to position our boat, you know, just so it's to, in order to keep our bait there the longest. These fish are, are pretty willing to, to eat if if they're there. So when we're drifting down the beaches and, and if we are fishing big schools of bait, 
I find it to be a little less important as far as the positioning. You know, we try to get up current of him if we can. There's been so many times where we've casted smack into the middle of them, and as soon as that bait hits the bottom, if those fish are there, we're tight. So I, I would say it is definitely a less, you know, less finesse kind of game when you're doing that. You know, you just got to happen to be in the right area with the right school of bait that has the school of fish under it. And so I don't spend a lot of time worrying about setting up on those on those schools of bait just because I know that if I'm there and we're there and we're, we're not getting bit, we're moving anyway. So, you know, a lot of times if I can help it, we don't even drop the trolling motor. You know, we'll just kind of idle around with, with the bait and, and try it that way. And, you know, if it's not there, we move on. Now, if we are fishing some of the reefs or we are fishing the inlet, you know, current, wind direction, all of those things come into play as far as, you know, what we're what we're looking for, you know, as far as where we're putting the boat. Um, on a fallen tide, you know, we're going to try and set up my, you know, I would rather set up further back in the inlet, you know, rather than, than forward, um, you know, on a, on a hard, you know, east to west current, you know, or if we're fishing some of the near shore structure, I'm going to try and get as far away from the structure as I can, just to hope that we don't, you know, kind of end up just hanging the structure constantly because those fish will come off the structure to eat. So, you know, as long as you're up current, upwind, depending on what you're doing, um, and you allow yourself to kind of stay close enough to, to the structure to fish it, but far enough off that you're not just breaking rigs off all day. Um, yeah, that, that as far as positioning is, is really about as simple as it gets for, for these fish, you know, put yourself in a, in a spot where you can still reach what you're casting to, um, you know, or just drift with the fish until you find them in the schools. But, um, bait, you know, pogies would definitely be, I, I would get, I would say would be our number one choice, but it, there's days where that is not, you know, all that they're going to eat, you know, that time of year is when we have our giant schools of mullet pushing down the beach. And there's been many a days where we cannot seem to buy a bite on a pogey, you know, for the first 30, 40 minutes of fishing, we'll run, you know, run over, go net a school of mullet. And, you know, the, the bigger mullet, you know, most of these mullets that time of year that are pushing down the beaches are eight to 10 inches. You know, we'll take those, fish them live, fish them cut the same way we do the, the pogies. And it just seems that some days, you know, maybe that, that particular school of redfish that is there is going to, you know, is going to key in on one bait or another. You know, if you're fishing a bait ball full of pogies, that's obviously kind of what you're going to want to throw on the pogies. But if you are fishing the near shore structure or the inlet, the mullet is a great option, as well as blue crab. Uh, you know, if you can find a, a, a generous crabber that is willing to, to trade you a couple blue crabs for, you know, for anything else, you know, money, anything, um, you know, a quarter blue crab, a, you know, a half a blue crab, you know, hooked just barely through the side of a shell, still using the circle hooks. There's, there's days where, you know, you're going to see, you know, 30, 40 boats in an inlet if it is too rough to be on the beach and maybe one boat is catching them and nobody else is. Chances are you might have, you know, either fresher bait, you know, as opposed to, you know, use somebody using frozen pogies they caught the year before, uh, you know, or he could be using something differently and different entirely. He could be using mullet, you know, he could be using a quarter, quarter to a half of blue crab. So it's not a bad idea to try and have a variety or at least have a second option. So, um, but those, those are your big three, your, your, your mullet, blue crab and pogies, uh, live pogies are best. You know, if you could possibly, you know, if, if it's calm and you can run down the beach and grab live pogies, that's what you need to be using, or at least need to have in your selection. Um, there's days where if anybody's spent any time king mackerel fishing, there's days where you're just not going to find the pogies. And especially for us on a, on a shorter half day trip, maybe 
if we've already spent 30 minutes looking for bait, that's about all I want to spend, you know, to make it fair for the people that are fishing with us. So we will carry frozen bait with us when the bait is plentiful, stock up, you know, use what you need to use for the day, take the rest and, and freeze them, you know, try to or keep them in the fridge or in a cooler if you know you're going to be going the next day or two. Um, you know, and that those cut fish the same way is a great plan B for not having live bait. All right. Well, look, this uh, Brunswick County big red drum off the beach is one of my favorite fisheries. I'm excited just having this conversation and I could easily talk with you more about it, but we're basically at the end of our time. And so this is where I say, Tim, any final thoughts, anything you didn't get a chance to say, or you wish you had said before on any of our other topics? I mean, this was as thorough a conversation as I've had. I don't see any holes I would have asked, but I always just like to give you the opportunity. Last thoughts on big reds off of Brunswick beaches. Yeah, I would say I, I can't think of much else to, to add, you know, without sounding like it's easy. It is something that is accessible for, for, mo for a lot of people. Um, you know, it's it, hopefully, you know, people are able to take away something from our conversation today as far as just the, the sheer basics. Um, you know, I would say if I had anything to add, it's just get out there and try it. You know, you get the, the people that are going to catch the most fish are the people that fish the most. You know, there's, there's no replacement for time and seat. There's going to be days where you get out there and you might struggle and you might not catch one or you might only catch one or get one or two bites, but you've learned something. You've learned, okay, well, I don't need to sit here if the tide is doing this or, hey, I've noticed that, you know, when the tide is all the way out, uh, you know, it seems that the, the bait is a little bit closer to the inlet or further away. You know, those are the kind of things that you don't pick up on unless you go. So, you know, if you get the opportunity to go, go as much as you can. Um, you know, bring somebody who's never caught one. It's something that's unique to our area for this time of year. And, and chances are for, for someone that's kind of just starting to get into fishing, especially, you know, saltwater fishing, this is probably going to be one of the biggest fish that they have access to catching, you know, re especially this close to shore. I mean, you know, they're just a ton of fun. Make sure you're responsible with your tackle selection, you know, use heavier than what you need. You know, it's not necessarily, they're going to give you plenty of fight, you know, so a lot of, a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, I'm, I'm going to use lighter gear because I, I just want to, you know, we want to fight them longer. You know, they're going to give you everything you want on whatever gear you have. So, you know, definitely, you know, make sure you can land them quickly, get a snap, a couple quick pictures, get them back in the water and don't just toss them back in the water. That's something that's a pet peeve of mine. You'll see someone that has already had their fish out of the water way too long. And then they just hurl it over the side. You know, it takes an, an extra 30 seconds tops to be able to grab that fish by the tail, you know, slowly rock him back and forth until he starts to get his strength back and let him swim away under his own power. Because it's it's just disheartening to see that, uh, you know, and a fish that we all enjoy that, you know, not only do we enjoy catching the big ones, we enjoy catching the smaller ones that these are here producing. You know, when you see one of them float past your belly up, you know, especially when it gets real busy, if you're out on a weekend and you see two or three maybe float past you, it's just, it's avoidable. And, and, you know, we should do our part to make sure that, you know, these fish are around for all of us. Understood, Tim DeSano. Thank you. Again, that's Captain Tim DeSano, Tideline Charters out of the Sunset Beach area. I always enjoy talking to you. Always learn something. Thank you so much, Tim. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Appreciate having us on again. Look forward to next time. Right on. Billy Thorpe. What is up, Gary? Sorry, I was trying to find the unmute button there. <laughs> and Tim makes your job so easy. I got to talk to these guides, man. They got to make you work harder. They got to shorter, shorter answers, less information, make Gary Hurley 
sweat a little. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to overstep myself, but I imagine I'm a lot like Michael Jordan. I just make it look easy. It's not as easy. It, I make it look easy. Michael Jordan. This is going to be definitely a takeaway that I. We don't even do takeaways for this podcast, but I'm definitely going to start now that you said that you compared yourself to Michael Jordan. I love it. That's all right. That's all right. Well, I'm I'm Dennis Rodman then. I'm a little messy, but I I make it happen. (laughs) And and party hard. You know, I got to go pick you up from Vegas myself to do the podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm I'm headed to North Korea. You guys need anything? All right. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. He he basically gave a T-shirt slogan at the end. The people that fish the most catch catch, catch the most fish. That's the a most. T. That might be a T-shirt. I mean, I'm it, not into that, but that said, might be a T-shirt for somebody. He said, "Time in the seat, not time on the water." I was a little disappointed, but then I was like, "Okay, well, that's a that's a different one." Because usually it's time on the water, like time on the water, you can catch more fish. So, uh, man, a lot of good takeaways from that episode. I, I think one thing that caught my attention was, you know, he's paying attention to these bait balls. Not it, well, one, he's saying that there's not fish under every bait ball, which doesn't, you know, and from my in my mind, I would think there would be. Um, but you got to go kind of pick through those bait balls and then, you know, figure out where the ones with no fish and get your bait there, but then go fish the other ones. I thought that was a pretty good strategy. I can see where I would just get excited about bait and I'd be trying to catch bait and fish out of the same hole. But, um, so yeah, I thought that was a pretty good one. And then, you know, if you don't get a bite by the time it, the bait hits the bottom, like you could probably just move on and do something else. Yeah. Cause, I, Cause you know, like you said, they're feeding, they're aggressive. Like it's not, it's not like Creek fishing. Like he says, yeah. man, they're gorging, they're feeding. So if you have a bait in the zone, you, you know, chances are high. And then you got to play it you know, like a lot of fishing. You just got to play the numbers game. You know how if you cast at 50 bait pods as opposed to 10, you know, your mm. chances go up. Oh, I, I thought you were going, Gary, with numbers game like fish on more people's boats. And catch, <laughs> that's where I thought you were going. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, everyone should do that. I don't I don't know why more people don't You need to get just more go fishing friends. with their captain and guide yeah, more like, friends with boats. Like, what? Are, what's your guys' problem? That's how you catch more fish. More time on the Put water. me on a podcast. Yeah. I'll tell you how to catch them. Uh, what fish are we talking about? I'll tell you who to call. Yeah, right. Yeah, you got to have a directory podcast. Live call-ins. <laughs> I can't catch trout. Oh, here, call this guy. I can't catch red drum. What I do when I want to catch trout is I call. <laughs> That's a special segment, Gary. We got to write that down. <laughs> Well, man, it's been fun. Thank you so much, uh, Gary, for doing nothing and letting Tim talk a lot. It was great. <laughs> and in uh, Marine Warehouse Center, thanks for supporting the podcast. Academy Sports, thanks for supporting the podcast. And be sure to support those sponsors where you can. And also, if you want to catch more fish, we got Tim DeSano. He's in the lineup of the fishing reports every week. So he is sharing a wealth of most weeks, I should say. Not every single week, but he's there a lot sharing this expertise and um, helping you catch more fish more often. So, Gary, appreciate it, man. High five. Thank you. Fishing